Hello and welcome to Wrestling at Random. I'm Jeremy Deemer. And I am Adam Summers. You're in Season 5 of Wrestling at Random, where the theme is more wrestling than ever. Some 19,000 and counting entries of professional wrestling, whether they be TV shows, pay-per-views, specials, anything else you can think of, probably fifty to 60,000 hours of pro wrestling uh, available for the randomizer to choose this year uh the season i should say and we've had some off the wall ones which is expected when you have that many entries in a randomizer however i was very happy this week jeremy because the randomizer decided to serve me up a nice heaping dish of comfort food if you're watching on our youtube channel right now you probably have an idea of what show uh what wrestling television show we'll be reviewing this is an episode of wcw monday nitro from august 19th 1996 we're about six weeks into the nwo uh in full force after hulk hogan turned and and joined with kevin nash and scott hall at bash at the beach Uh, also this show takes place two weeks after a nitro that i attended live at disney mgm studios on uh uh, on august 5th 1996 Uh, i'll I'll lay out what that card was a little bit later because it was uh it was pretty wacky August 19th, 1996 edition of Nitro. This is uh, the randomizer has chosen five Nitros over the course of our uh, five seasons. Um, You can go back. We did another episode back in season two, February 26th of 1996. We did an episode of Monday Nitro. So just prior to the to the NWO and to WCW really taking over in the ratings war. That is correct. And now here we are uh, just a few weeks after. We also did an episode from 97 and two from 98. So here we are in 1996. This is pre-Goldberg. This is post-Hogan turning in the NWO just weeks prior, like you mentioned. Pre-Crow Sting by uh, a couple months, and we'll see what happens here on this show what, what is built to for the upcoming pay-per-view fall brawl will lead directly to uh, the events that turn Sting dark. You mentioned our YouTube channel. Uh, that's where you can watch the video version of this podcast. You can watch Adam and I do the podcast over see at my our Monday YouTube Nitro channel. Shirt, the most important thing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm disappointed and, uh, we didn't coordinate. You're not wearing your NWO shirt. That would have been uh, timely, although not for this episode. Yeah, spoiler, that you might actually be on on theme here by not wearing your NWO yes. shirt this week. <laughs> and so let's talk about it. We're in Huntsville, Alabama, the, uh, the Von Braun Civic Center. Huntsville, Alabama. I never went to a wrestling show there, but I am deeply familiar with that town. <laughs> Not a lot of positive memories from being out there. Um, didn't live there, but visited. Um, but yeah, uh, I when I looked up after this, I'm like, where was this? I didn't catch where they said it was. Von Braun Civic Center, Huntsville, Alabama. This is a classic WCW TV taping building. I feel like the only Civic Center that it is rivaled uh, by in WCW history is the Cobb County Civic Center. 5,850 people in attendance, 3,760 of them paid. Wow, so only 60% or so paid. 
And the gate was forty four thousand three hundred and forty four dollars. The building was packed, though. We'll see. Like the 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 house lights are fully up, and it's a small, uh, not super tiny, but a small building, and it didn't look like it could fit much more than fifty eight fifty. The first hour. This is when Nitro was only two hours long, and the first hour, our commentary team is Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco. Now, we go into the history of Monday Nitro, the TV show, and all of that. If you go all the way back to season two, I mentioned that episode of Monday Nitro. That's where we'll give you the history. Go back in this free feed you're listening to right now and uh, listen to the first five minutes of that if you want a good recap on how we got to Monday Nitro, how we got to 1996, and the Monday Night Wars, which we are in at this moment. Our number one, Tony Schiavone, Larry Zabisco on commentary. And we go right to the ring. We have our opening match. VK Wall Street, also known as Mike Rotunda, taking on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. This is a, I liked this, not because it was good, because it wasn't, but VK Wall Street, it's a callback to Michael Wall Street, mm-hmm. which is the charter member of the York Foundation. We are a proud York Foundation podcast. Uh, he was no longer one of the computerized men of the 1990s and said he's just wearing singlets with money on it. The VK, obviously Vince McMahon, Vincent Kennedy McMahon, because he always had to get shots in. Uh, I'm wondering if years later, if he could have been a surprise member of the Voodoo Kin Mafia in TNA. Yes, uh, the Mike Rotunda gimmicks from... Varsity Club Mike Rotunda to Captain Mike Rotunda to IRS. We're, we're captain. He went from being the captain of the football team to being a seafaring captain. Still <laughs> yes, the most wearing a sailor's hat. Uh, in, in uh, I guess if we're going to call it modern wrestling history. IRS Irwin R. Scheister. And here he is, Michael Wall Street, now VK Wall Street. And yeah, Hacksaw Jim Duggan is. Hacksaw Jim Duggan that you remember, and this is apparently a rematch from the Clash of the Champions, which took place the Thursday prior to this Monday night. Yes, uh, and there's several Clash of the Champions, if you want to go back and hear our history uh, about that uh, semi-regular special that would air on TBS. Uh, We get a short video package, if you want to call it that, highlights of their match the previous Thursday at Clash of the Champions, where... Apparently, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, I had completely forgot about this. His gimmick was that he would just blatantly in front of the referee take a roll of tape out of his trunks and tape his fist up and then hit a tape fist punch uh, to get the win. This is one of the most ridiculous Three Stooges level pratfalls I've seen in pro wrestling where he takes the the tape out of his trunks, starts ra- like spinning around to wrap it. Instead, it wraps his arm up with referee Nick Patrick's arm, everyone falls down, and somehow this leads to Hacksaw Jim, du- Hacksaw Jim Duggan getting pinned by Wall Street. It's the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen. Toru Yana would say, get more serious. Uh, and yeah, that leads us to uh, the rematch here. God knows we needed it. Yeah, this match, if you close your eyes and you picture, what is a Mike Rotunda jim duggan match look like it's exactly that it's exactly what you're picturing that happened 
move for move, and including a long Wall Street chin lock spot. Yes, it's exactly as you would imagine, but longer. This felt yes. like <laughs> it was from primetime wrestling. Jim Powers, Mike Sharp for Madison Square Garden, and it just went on and on and on. Um, there's a great line, though, where Tony Schiavone just for no reason at all says that he thinks that Hacksaw Jim Duggan is misunderstood. He's a smart strategist. And Larry Zabisco sounds legit offended. He says, are you ribbing me, Tony? Tony says, no, I'm not ribbing. And then Larry says, in the game of human chess, Hacksaw Jim Duggan is not a player. I lost it. That broke me. Larry was hit and miss, to say the least. Yes. But he was tremendous here. Much better than anything else in the match. This is all uh, about what really we'll see and hear throughout the show. It's all about Nick Patrick as the referee and the questions that have emerged in recent weeks over whether Nick Patrick is uh, has it out for WCW. Is he on the take? Is he with the NWO? Is he Danny Davis reincarnated? Um, and, and yeah, we'll I'll have thoughts on that throughout this show because I it could be very bad, but I feel like they actually did this very well. We'll yeah, we'll save my my opinions on this as the show goes on. Um, Duggan pulls the athletic tape out of his tights again. He tapes up his hand, hits the big punch, gets the win directly Hacksaw in Jim front, Duggan. directly in front of Nick Patrick, who just lets it happen. He lets the baby face use a foreign object here and counts the pin. So that's your first Nick Patrick. What is he doing? Moment. Mean Gene interviews Hacksaw Jim Duggan after the match. Gene asks him about Hulk Hogan. And the New World Order. And Duggan, Duggan calls Hogan Terry, so you know it's serious. And then he, uh, the Macho Man makes his way down to the ring and interrupts. Savage says he's got a problem with Hogan. And then we see last week on Nitro, Savage was taking on the United States champion Ric Flair when Hogan came out and attacked Savage with a chair. And we find out that Savage will be wrestling the Giant in our main event tonight. Yes, apparently they had some sort of deal, Savage and the Giant, and it didn't work out, so that's why it's a bit of a grudge match. Uh, The best part of this, other than Randy Savage, just being Randy Savage, is when he says that he had 15,000 stitches in his head last week, but he's ready to go tonight. That was a pretty hard, unprotected chair shot, so maybe uh, in the world of pro wrestling that is true. After commercial, we get a recap of Hogan beating the Giant for the world title, and Hogan spray-painted NWO on the belt for the very first time. We see clips of the Clash of the Champions, where the Giant hits a dropkick, chokeslams Chris Benoit, and gets an immediate victory. Yeah, like a 30-second win. He, he Benoit got caught up in the jacket arguing with woman. And like you said, giant big drop kick, the biggest choke slam you've ever seen. And he beats Chris Benoit. I remember. I love the giant drop kick. Oh, it's yeah, always exciting. It's always fun. Yeah. When he would bust that out, it was crazy. Uh, I remember, and again, talk about how, you know, life changes you know, 25, 30 years later. I remember being so angry when the giant beat Chris Benoit, my favorite wrestler at that time. Uh, in 30 seconds of the choke slam, it was my Seamus Brian Danielson moment. <laughs> um, sure. Clearly, now look at all, everything with Chris Benoit. So we've talked about in previous episodes a little bit differently, uh, quite a bit differently actually. But yeah, so that's uh, you see that footage from Clash of the Champions, and then we go we go back to the ring, and it is Earl 
Robert Eaton, the Blue Bloods British presentation of beautiful Bobby Eaton. Uh, apparently, he is having problems with his Blue Bloods mates, Lord Stephen Regal and Squire Dave Taylor. So he's striking out on his own, and he is taking on Chris Benoit, who has both woman and Elizabeth with him. I had forgotten that Elizabeth was uh, one of the two valets of the horseman during this time period. It's a weird period in this 96 run here where it's like the old WCW bridging with a an NWO WCW. Time. So there's you get these weird things like the Blue Bloods showing up here and 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 VK Wall Street. The right? Dungeon the, of Doom. It's, the Dungeon it's... of Doom will be in our main event later. And it's like, so you get these weird classic you get Sting as classic Sting. You get these weird uh WCW uh, things along with the NWO stuff sprinkled throughout. It's the through line, even though we haven't seen them. Ev- the- Gene is asking every single person about it. The commentators are doing podcasts about it during yes. each match, and it's it's all that is important. Well, if you weren't watching during this time period, like you can't you can't really overstate how good of a job WCW did in the early weeks and months of the NWO in building in that that uh, that paranoia and that chaos and that fear that everyone in wcw felt that at any time they could be taken out we're we're just three weeks after the nwo's absolute decimation of wcw at one of the disney mgm studios nitros the infamous lawn darting of Rey mysterio into the production truck uh and so that is still very fresh that that trauma is still very fresh for everyone in wcw here in kayfabe uh, and yeah, just the looming specter of the NWO with them not even here essentially is enough to throw everything off the rails uh, for WCW. And like you said, it is a weird time period. It's 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 not even just the old WCW and the new WCW. You've got vestiges of like legacy WCW, like you said, with Sting, Flair, Arn Anderson. And then you've got that weird 94, 95 uh hogan's in but the nwo hasn't started yet era like you said with the likes of jim duggan and the blue bloods gimmick and stuff like that it's uh it's wcw would feel very differently even a year later from this you'll be shocked to hear that a match between chris benoit and bobby eaton was good and very entertaining yes no this was solid stuff as it always is uh, and also, it's a it's a bit of a history note in that these two guys briefly were tag team partners in WCW in 1993 during Benoit's first run. Uh, Bobby Eaton didn't have a tag didn't have a tag partner. They got a short run, maybe lasted like a month or two. Uh, but yeah, it's just it, even in, if you take away the uh, the Blue Bloods gimmick, just seeing Bobby Eaton on Nitro always throws me off because it's not the era of WCW that you associate him with at all. Yeah, and it's funny to think this is less than 10 years from the 87 studio shows yes. where, you know, those the, the, we, we reviewed those World Championship Wrestling studio shows from 1987. This is less than 10 years from that, and the production could, looks like it's 30 years later compared to that. Well, yeah, and we always talk of, you know, once you get into, like, the HD era of WWE, other than some, some bad, like, uh, augmented reality... <laughs> graphics wwe production really and maybe just more and more shaky cam but like the way everything is shot it's basically identical or in big arenas the whole deal whereas yeah 
10 years from being in a small TV studio, uh, you know, really bare bones to here. You know, yes, it's it's the Von Braun Civic Center, but this is a full-on major television production, pyro everywhere you look. Uh, it, it does not feel like the same promotion visually. Great intensity, ground grappling. Eaton gets rammed head first, head first into the post and then hip-tossed out on the floor. They end up going back inside. Benoit continues the beatdown. Eaton hits a swinging neckbreaker, goes to the top rope. He misses the Alabama Jam the leg drop. awkward Alabama Jam Terrifying. ever, particularly here in Huntsville of all places. This The problem was he, Benoit was not in the right position. He did not get Benoit positioned for this, I guess because he knew he was going to miss it. But he gets up there and he's like, well, all right, I've got to somehow make this look like I could land it. So he kind of twists in midair. Uh, not like two cold Scorpios <laughs> twisting in midair for a splash. Uh, like you said, it looks terrifying. And then that's followed up by something even more terrifying, particularly in hindsight. An absolutely brutal top rope headbutt by Chris Benoit that is legit head-to-head contact. And then you 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 think, wow, he was doing this move basically every night, probably 100, 150 times a year for 15 years. The huge diving headbutt gets the victory, and then we get a video package where it says, Blood Runs Cold. Glacier is coming to WCW. These video packages ran for months on WCW programming, and this was before they got Scott Hall and Kevin Nash. This was going to be the big story, the big angle that Eric Bischoff, a, a noted martial arts enthusiast, who apparently had watched Mortal Kombat one too many times, he thought that this was going to be the thing that helped WCW win the war. This was going to be the main story in the company, Glacier and Mortis and Wrath. Uh, They waited and waited and waited. They finally debuted it, and it ended up not being much of a thing at all. Back to Clash of the Champions highlights. The Outsiders were at ringside during a tag team match for the championship, and Nick Patrick sees the Outsiders outside, calls for a DQ and a triple threat tag team match, and yeah, this he ended wacky. up robbing. Them. He robs the Steiners of the tag team titles here. Yeah, it was Harlem Heat, the Steiners, Sting and Lex Luger in a triangle match for the tag team titles. Scott Steiner hits the Frankensteiner. He's about to win. The outsiders are just standing in the aisleway, like 60 feet from the ring. And that is enough for Nick Patrick to ring the bell again. He has plausible deniability. They're out there. They're trying to get involved in the match. So if you want to go by the letter of the law, using his judgment, he could call that for that disqualification. But it screwed over the baby faces, uh, the Steiner brothers, and they were not able to win the tag titles. Uh, Nick Patrick, by the way, they show Nick Patrick. Uh, uh, interview afterwards with Gene where he says he is a great referee because he can see multiple things happening at the same time. We get highlights of Flair versus Hogan for the title. Hogan pulls the referee down while he's in the figure four and the outsiders hit the ring and they have a beat down and the match gets thrown out. Yes, a DQ finish in the world title main event of Clash of the Champions. So we had that and we had that DQ in the tag title. So this was not the... Uh, this was not the clash of the champions of five, ten years prior. Uh, different vibe here for sure. They, they were, and it's what WCW did on clashes or nitros. They gave you the big matches. We'll see this later. They gave you the big matchups, 
but you did not get anything approaching a satisfying finish. And it's not like 80s All Japan where you at least had badass action for 15 minutes and then a double count out. You, you didn't even get that. Sting and Lex Luger are in the back. Gene says there will be a surprise. And Sting says, life in WCW has never been a cakewalk, and he can't stand either of the horsemen, but he's got a surprise for them later tonight. This is a really weird presentation of Sting visually, and I remember at the time it seemed so strange. For like at least four or five months prior to this, including this, Sting had no longer had the bleach blonde hair. He was letting his hair grow out to where he just had his natural hair but the rest of it was, you know, it was a dark brown hair, but the rest of it was the surfer sting look. It was in preparation so that when he turned or, or went to the crow sting, he didn't have blonde hair at that point and have to dye it. Like, but it, it made for a very strange look uh, parachuting mm-hmm. in here. Speaking of strange looks, Disco Inferno versus Scott Flash Norton. I got excited because I want to see Scott Norton kill this guy. I am not a fan of the Disco Inferno. I'm looking forward to getting seeing him get squashed by Scott Norton. And quick fashion corner on uh, Scott Norton. He's wearing the most early 90s gear you've ever seen. Well, his, and, <laughs> and it says flash on the side of his uh, thigh. It's uh, it, it It looks like he's a member of the new rockers and that's not the presentation I would think of with Scott flash Norton. But what he's wearing is he's still wearing his fire and ice tag team gear. And I thought, Oh, we're in the fire and ice era of Scott Norton. We are told uh, on commentary shortly thereafter that recently Scott Norton had turned on ice train. Uh, he was dissatisfied with their results. They had some awesome matches with the Steiners, just awesome fights, but they would always lose Scott Norton lost patience uh, and turned on Ice Train. Uh, my I have fi- no Ice Train memories or knowledge because it was in the it was in my my dark period where I did not watch wrestling from ninety two to ninety six. So I I missed an entire run of Fire and Ice. <laughs> so I did not have any context to this whatsoever. And like, uh, tell me about Ice Train. Ice Train in the right situation could have been a really good big guy. I mean, I mean, build wise, he's you know similar build to I'm uh, not dissimilar from Scott Norton or uh, you know uh, uh, Powerhouse Hobbs is another example. Just big, thick, meaty guy as they like to say. Uh, Miro, another guy you could throw in there with that sort of build. Um, he was not polished, but in that team with Scott Norton, I remember being disappointed that they didn't keep them together because it was one of those things where it's like neither of them are going to be top guys uh, apart. But if I can see them thrown down with Harlem Heat and the Steiners and the Nasty Boys and everyone else uh, throwing public Mirror on, I would have I would have enjoyed more of that. What I did enjoy, though, one of our favorite things here on the podcast is mid 90s Internet on wrestling television and we get a recap of how scott norton turned on ice train ice train at the i think it was either the clash of champions or at hog wild road wild whatever it was the pay-per-view a few weeks earlier ice train was in the wcw CompuServe chat room chatting with fans when scott norton attacked him viciously 
for those listening that says CompuServe, what was that? Uh, you would know Comp. It, it was there was basically three ways to get on the internet in 1996: CompuServe, Prodigy, and America Online. Those were the ways you got online. And uh, yeah, this was the CompuServe uh, chat room. And they like they were both. And they weren't necessarily ISPs. They were like, I think most people thought of them as the internet. Like you yes. had AOL and you thought that AOL was the internet. Because um, you I paid still... AOL to get access to the internet. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. They were the middleman. I uh, I still miss, separate from this, the best web browser of all time, Netscape Navigator. Skypoint, if you're Sky watching, on, yeah. uh, watching on YouTube. I still miss that little logo. So this match starts and... Disco's jumped right before the bell. I love this. Disco with some shots, no selling from from Norton. Huge clothesline by Norton. Disco rolls outside. And then Norton leaves the ring rockers style, the way the rockers yes. used to. And it made me laugh because I was thinking new rockers in my head. <laughs> and then back inside, Norton runs him over again. He's standing on the stomach of Disco Inferno. Disco tries to like... DDT Norton or do something, but he's immediately picked up and thrown off. Dropped almost right on his head. What if that if the ring would have been six inches higher up, it could have been disaster for uh uh for disco. He was vertical until the very last moment. Norton hits the shoulder breaker and he's talking crap to Ice Train, slaps on the arm bar for the submission. All Scott Norton domination, just as I hoped it would be. I love that Scott Norton is like the most jacked Arms or uh, Anderson family member ever with his offense here towards the end. The big running shoulder breaker out of the Canadian backbreaker position, which I love. Uh, one of the best finishers in the WCW games for N64. Then he hits a single arm DDT and the Fujiwara arm bar, or as Tony Schiavone calls it, the single arm bar. I'm like, where's the double arm bar? But it's the single arm bar, and that gets the submission. And, yeah, I guess we're getting a singles match between Scott Norton and Ice Train. Uh, and that that story continues because we go backstage with Gene Okerlund and a very heavy-looking Teddy Long who is standing next to a nearly mummified, he's taped up so much, Ice Train. My takeaway from this is that Ice Train desperately needed a manager, and he had one here. Ice Train promo, not good. He looked scared, wasn't even looking into the camera. This was a little yikes. But good news, Teddy Long is awesome. Yeah, and he still looked, Teddy Long looked older here than he did as a SmackDown GM. Lord Steven Regal versus Dean Malenko. Hell yes, this is why we love Nitro. Well, before that, we get a promo for WCW Saturday Night that I'm wishing would have gotten pulled as well by the randomizer, uh, as it is, they, they tell us we'll have Dave Taylor versus Lex Luger and Ric Flair versus Dean Malenko. Wow. <laughs> yeah, we've got Regal versus Dean Malenko here. I'm excited. A lot of grappling and then we go to commercial no i'm missing grappling yes i'm so upset we've had no, no picture in picture here no commercial interruptions for matches up until this point and then we get dean malenko and lord steven regal and they're having doing awesome dean malenko and lord steven regal things just really unique cool grappling and we go to break uh, we come back and you guessed it they're still doing awesome stuff an incredible series of counters Regal with a cartwheel and hits an unbelievable Enzigiri. 
And Regal is fired up like he's a baby face here. He's proud of his athleticism. He should be. Malenko does a full flip getting hit by that insiguri. Yes. More solid wrestling all around. Jumping double knee to the face of Malenko. Regal goes and puts on a full Nelson. And he's got the full Nelson on. And he pushes Malenko down by stepping on the back of the leg and the knee of Malenko. A thousand times cooler than Billy Jack Haynes <laughs> or Hercules. If you uh, listen to our... Uh, uh, to our review of uh, Wrestling Challenge uh, last week. Yes, this is. Uh, you'll be shocked to know that Lord Steven <laughs> Regal is a better technician than Billy Jack Haynes or Hercules. Uh, also, uh, this is where you know I said you know, sometimes I like Larry on commentary, sometimes I hate him. Larry Zabisco criticizing the full Nelson technique of uh, of Lord Steven Regal. I'm like, yeah, I, I I don't agree with you here. The other thing that I noticed uh, noticed Jeremy. It must have been 110 degrees in this building. Everybody's sweating real, These real fast, dudes. And they were—I mean, they were going hard. I mean, this was some some fast-paced grappling, but they were glistening, soaking wet, sweating just a couple minutes into this match. Malenko with a German suplex hits it again with a bridge for a two count. Regal hits an awesome butterfly suplex for two. And then Regal does this awesome move where he like floats over Malenko, just the smoothest thing you've ever seen, and ends up rolling him up. I can't even describe how crazy this was. No, this was some Zack Saber Jr. twenty twenty three stuff here in nineteen ninety six from Lord Steven Regal. It was, and he's three x the size of Zack Saber Jr. Yes, and he's doing this move with. The grace and just literally floating is the only word I can I can think of. Yeah, he's absolutely at worst keeping up with Dean Malenko, if not quicker than Dean Malenko in all of these exchanges. Beautiful stuff. Uh, but out of that, Malenko counters and he hits a beautiful uh, pinning combination of his own. It's like a step through Oklahoma roll all in one motion. Gets the three count. Big pop from the crowd. What a just great little TV match. You said at the top when we started talking about this match, this is why we love WCW Monday Nitro. Exactly my thought as well. Hook this type of TV match into my veins. Just delightful stuff. It was tremendous. And, it, you know, before the Monday Night Wars, you weren't getting this. The, no. This was nowhere on your television set. So to now have something like this, this is why we loved Monday Nitro. And this is why we loved... Uh, Dean Malenko and and Steven Regal. Regal is significantly bigger than Dean Malenko. And Dean Malenko, who they're talking about going for the Cruiserweight Championship again, uh, this is one of those guys who, like a Rey Mysterio, like an Eddie Guerrero at this time, they're wrestling bigger than their size. Oh, yeah. They, it, and well, the match you think that you feel that Regal and Malenko are the same size when Regal is so much bigger. It's it's incredible. Well, it's a great point because when you, when the match starts, you have that, oh, my God, Regal is so much bigger than Dean mm -hmm. Malenko moment, like seeing Billy Gunn in the ring with anyone who isn't seven feet tall. And then five minutes into the match, like your mind, you don't notice it anymore, and you're seeing them nope. as the same size, which is such a credit to both of them, really, the way each of them are wrestling. 
the match story wasn't about a size difference. And so it didn't play in and you didn't see it. And you literally saw them as the same size in a competitive match, which is incredible art on top of the, on top of the actual in-ring action. What you just described, I think is the strongest delineation between how this match would be done in the WWF during this time period versus WCW, the entire story in, in the way the match would be worked and the entire story on commentary would have been, Oh, look at that little pit bull, Dean Malenko, against the much bigger Steven Regal. But here it's just these two guys are freaking great wrestlers, and we're going to call the match, and somebody's going to win. It was the best part of Nitro that you had. Yes, you had, you know, if you're an old fan that likes, you know, old WWF guys, you had Jim Duggan, you had, you know, uh, you'd have big bruising stuff, you'd have other big stars, but then you also had this melting pot of, like, guys from all around the world to sort of cruiserweight slash TV slash US title mix all kind of cross-pollinated in 95, 96, 97. It was awesome. Ric Flair and Arn Anderson joined Mean Gene. They cut a quick promo because it's hour number two and we need some indoor pyro. <laughs> yes, it's it's not like that one Nitro where, who was it, Bam Bam Bigelow and somebody were wrestling and during the match. <laughs> during the, the ring, match. They're yeah, doing like moves a- and just... The most pyro you've ever seen indoors goes off, and Bigelow's like, I'm just grabbing a reverse chin lock till this is over, till we survive this here. Uh, it's great because Gene is trying to wrap uh, Ric Flair up for the pyro, and Rick is not having any of it. Rick is going to do his promo come hell or high water or pyrotechnics. Hour two, we replaced Tony Schiavone and Larry Zabisco with Eric Bischoff and Bobby the Brain Heenan on commentary. Yes, I had a few thoughts right away, and it's throughout this hour, but just get it out now. It's interesting that Schiavone and Bischoff are such different announcers. Schiavone is much better at actually calling the action. Eric Bischoff, like him calling the moves is really annoying. He's got this weird cadence. It's like fast slow it's just it's really strange but he is tremendous particularly when he's on camera at getting over the seriousness and the danger of what's going on with the nwo and also this righteous indignation this is pre uh the big shocking turn of eric bischoff joining the nwo basically doing mr mcmahon a year before vince mcmahon did that character uh, but he the other thing that bischoff is great at as compared to uh, the way Tony Schiavone would be with Bobby Heenan on other shows is that Bischoff, like Vince McMahon or Gorilla Monsoon, will actually bite on all of Bobby Heenan's ridiculousness and then play off of it and get mad and get offended, whereas Tony Schiavone would just blow it off and act like Heenan was an idiot. It's it's a really different way of uh, of hearing Bobby and WCW. We go to the ring for the Nasty Boys versus the Public Enemy. And I've said this every time they come on my television, and I will continue to say it. I never got it. Don't get it. I don't understand Public Enemy. I didn't understand them in ECW, and I for sure never understood this team in WCW. I loved Public Enemy and ECW, and it's a funny statement to make because I never actually saw a Public Enemy ECW match until after they left ECW because we didn't get ECW TV here. They went to WCW, but you'd always see them in the magazines, and it just looked like the most chaos possible when they were out there. Um, But yeah, they were, I think maybe even more than when Sandman came in and he was hardcore hack. 
I don't think there was ever an ECW act that lost more by being out of the ECW environment uh, than Public Enemy. They were particularly Johnny Grunge, but even as an act, they were uh, the personification of you know the classic Paul Heyman. He hides the guy's weaknesses and accentuates their strengths. Here in WCW, literally the bright lights of WCW, um, you know, they were just kind of a, a poor man's uh, nasty boys, really. They were, and we're watching them take on the OG Nasty Boys here. And With that Nasty Boys entrance music, hearing the Nasty Boys sing, I had forgotten about that. Between that and Disco Inferno's music, I feel like there's a lost edition of Slam Jam waiting to be released. So we have guys fighting inside and outside the ring, so they go split screen, and we're... We're watching on two separate feeds, brawling outside and inside the ring. Johnny Grunge misses an elbow drop off the apron onto the floor. That looked awful. And then Sags, he's on the other side. He's on a table at one point. And he rolls off the table. And somehow, I did, WCW production, I, I didn't see it, but somehow both members of Public Enemy end up going through this table. They put themselves through the table. Well, the big move, it was the drive-by. Their big move in WCW, and they did in ECW, so their big move in WCW is they would, they'd set up a table on the floor, they'd put their opponent on it, Johnny Grunge would stand on the apron, and then Rocco Rock would bound off the ropes and cannonball himself into his partner and drive both of them threw their opponent on the table. Here, Jerry Sags moved. Basically, the entire purpose of Public Enemy and WCW was for the Nasty Boys to not have to take the bumps anymore and for Public Enemy to take those bumps for them. That's precisely what this match was. Nasty Boys got the win. Gene interviews the Nasty Boys. They want a shot at the tag team titles. The main, theme, the main theme of this, which it's kind of a running theme throughout, again, is that, and I like it, the, the seriousness of the NWO and Hulk Hogan turning that everyone is so disgusted and Gene's trying to get the bottom of it, uh, whether it be with Hacksaw calling Hogan Terry earlier or here, Gene is basically interrogating Brian Knobs about his longtime real-life friendship with Hulk Hogan and basically wondering out loud if the Nasty Boys are secret agents for the NWO and Brian Knobs basically says, I've been hanging and begging with Hogan before either of us were in WCW. I got no problem with him. Bischoff and Heenan then discuss the NWO and they recap everything. And they again hit on that uh, paranoia is the, is the theme. They hit on the paranoia, but they also have really have metaphorically their chest puffed out because they say all of WCW is here. We got sting. We got Luger. We got the horseman Harlem heat. Everybody's here. We've never seen the NWO show up when WCW is at full strength, and we don't think they're going to show up tonight. More Clash of the Champion highlights. We see Eddie Guerrero winning a Battle Bowl ring. Yes, and- so they used to do the uh, on and off. Uh, they, you know, they had the Lethal Lottery and the Battle Bowl. I think this was the last time they did it, um, and DDP won the Battle Bowl ring. He won the lottery. He lost his $13 million and was destitute. Uh, and then here we're early in the diamond cutter era of DDP. Uh, he goes to shake Eddie's hand after Eddie beats him. But instead, you guessed it, DDP pulls Eddie Guerrero in and hits a diamond cutter. We go to the ring. DDP in action taking on the nephew of Eddie Guerrero, Chavo Guerrero Jr. 
DDP stolen the Battle Bowl ring, and Chavo comes down. He's he's on fire. Hits a couple quick drop kicks. Sends Paige to the floor. Chavo slingshots himself over the top to the floor, and he almost kills himself while wiping out DDP. This dive was terrifying. So imagine the WrestleMania Undertaker dive, but the guardrails are 10 feet closer, (laughs) but he takes the same bump that Undertaker did, knocking himself out of the process. That's what happens here with a very young rookie Chavo Guerrero. This was terrifying. In the ring, Chavo charges in, DDP moves. Chavo goes shoulder first in the ring post, and DDP starts working over the arm. He hits a sit-out powerbomb, but he doesn't want to pin Chavo. A huge belly-to-belly suplex when he's got the arms hammer-locked behind him. Yeah, this was awesome. I don't remember DDP doing that before. That was very cool. It was super cool, but again, pulls him up at two. He could beat him, but doesn't want to. He wants to continue the punishment. He goes for a diamond cutter. Chavo reverses it into a backslide and gets the pin. I love when the backslide get, is a finish. This was great. DDP then immediately hits a diamond cutter after the match. He takes the belt off of referee Nick Patrick and starts whipping Chavo with Nick Patrick's belt. Referee Randy Peewee Anderson hits the ring to take the belt away from DDP. Are you sure uh, that that wasn't Randy Peterson? Yes. Michael Buffer is not here to tell us. (laughs) And then Randy Anderson's questioning why Nick Patrick didn't take the belt away from Diamond Dallas Page. Nick Patrick is incredible here. He gets his his belt taken off, and then he just starts running around the ring. Arms are flying. He's flailing around like he can't cannot get this belt back from DDP. He's the same size as DDP. Little Randy Anderson runs out and immediately jumps in and pulls the belt away from DDP. Uh, and then we get a, uh, we get ringside. Gene again interrogating Nick Patrick saying he could have stopped it. Nick Patrick, again, he's got it. He says, it's just like a police stop in a particularly uh, you know, potentially dangerous situation. You got to call for backup. He said, that's what makes me and Randy Anderson great. We are a great refereeing team. And then Nick Patrick blames the media and the newspapers for creating this paranoia. Nick Patrick is awesome on this show. He's executing the role well. Very well. The role has no business in wrestling. There's... We talked about Danny Davis on that episode of Wrestling Challenge uh, last week. It's it's something that it, okay, uh, you can have a you you have a heel referee. So now, but he's never like if he's ever re- refereeing a match, he's never like over. He's never just immediately fast counting and the match is over. Unless it's uh, Toronto is in AAA. <laughs> yes, and he's not. Uh, and and then if he ever turns back again, he's a like at the, the story has to end at some point. Yeah, how do you and then trust what him do you, at that point? What do you do with him? Right, like you can't yeah. have a crooked referee, uh, uh, whoever the that referee was in the NBA that was betting on games and everything. Donahue. Tim Donahue didn't come back and like with a baby face turn and say he's all cleaned up his act and he's okay. an like, NBA expert, Adam Summers. By the way. <laughs> So, so it's it's a tough thing, and Nick Patrick will go on to referee for 
another couple decades after this uh, this eventual heel turn. He'll go on to be, other than Charles Robinson, the last man standing from WCW in the WWF slash WWE for so many years. I agree with everything that you're saying, but in the moment of what they were doing with the NWO, it fit in so well. And to me, it heightened again the paranoia and the fear and the what's going to happen next with what the NWO was going to do because it wasn't just... Well, you've got Hall and Nash. They came in from the WWF. You've got Hulk Hogan turned. If Hulk Hogan can turn, any other wrestler can turn. It's also, is the NWO able to get referees? Are they able to pay off, you know, the executive committee? Like, is WCW going to cease to exist? Like, that. that is what was played here throughout. This wasn't a, you know, WWF-style invasion angle where it's sort of like a half step and it's, oh, these guys are here, but then everything else is normal. This was played from the very beginning as an existential struggle for the very survival of WCW. So in that context, and given the performance of Nick Patrick in what you said is a flawed concept of a role, I I enjoyed it on this show. I also, we can't let it go, I also enjoyed Gene Oakland at his best. Gene was tremendous throughout this in trying to get to the bottom of the NWO, trying to get any information about what's going on with the NWO. Gene was on it. He asked every single person about it. It was the only thing to be talked about. Like He didn't care about your desire for the tag title. No. He wants to know about the NWO and Hulk Hogan's turn. Including at the very end of this promo, just an offhanded remark by Gene as they were going to break, but it was perfect. And it laid the groundwork for, for so much that was going to happen with Nick Patrick and the NWO. Uh, Gene just says, Oh, by the way, Nick, that was a beautiful 550,000 home. You just purchased. I just saw that in the paper. Couldn't help but notice that. We go back to footage from 1995, September of 95, when the American males defeated Harlem heat to win the tag team championship. The very, I believe they said the third episode of Monday Nitro. I'm not sure if they misspoke, but the way they said it, it made it sound as though it was in this very building, the uh, the Von Braun Civic Center in Huntsville, Alabama, that the American males, Scotty Riggs and Mark Alexander Bagwell, had won the titles. Eric Bischoff says they're one year more experienced, so they may have Harlem Heat's number again. And what happens after that? American Mal's theme song plays the greatest bad theme song in professional wrestling history. Let's hear a minute of it. Could we bookend this any any more with the worst song followed by the best song? Because the Harlem Heat music then uh, came on right after well, that, cleansing the palate after the horrible American Males theme actually, song. Actually, we, we should I should amend my statement about Nick Patrick and Charles Robinson being the longest running WCW <laughs> thing in the WWF slash WWE. The thing that survived everything was Harlem Heat's music. Booker T had that through his entire wwf run it was that good that vince mcmahon had to keep wcw music 
it, it was good stuff. Definitely better than watching Marcus Bagel and Scotty Riggs do the clap as they came out. It felt like it was an episode of ECW here with Scotty Anton. They also, for guys that were supposed to be like a modern style fantastics, they came, they had the most heelish vibe to them as they slowly walked out to the ring with this horrible music doing the big overhand clap. I was not feeling it. WCW World Tag Team Titles are on the line here. The champions are Harlem Heat, the challengers, the American males. And Harlem Heat is managed by both Sensational Sherry and Colonel Parker. Yes, this is part of the long-running Colonel Parker, Sensational Sherry storyline where Colonel Parker was trying to win her love. Um, that went back and forth. They each managed Harlem Heat for a while, then they both managed him. It's also... Very weird to see Robert Fuller, Colonel Rob Parker on Nitro in the summer of 1996 during the NWO era. It's another one of those things that feels very out of place. I don't remember any Fullers near the NWO at any point. <laughs> like it just doesn't. It, he he was relegated to Saturday night at, at most of this. But uh, yeah, it's it's weird to to see him here with Harlem Heat as they begin the beatdown on Riggs, double teaming in the corner. All Harlem Heat to start the match. Booker T goes to the top, but Riggs drop kicks Booker out of the air and tags his partner, Marcus Alexander Bagwell, the future buff Bagwell. And Buff runs wild. And uh, Booker cuts him off, goes for the pump handle slam. And Bagwell lands on top of Booker, recreating the finish from 1995 that we just saw. But Stevie Ray is there to break it up. Bagwell rolls Stevie Ray into Booker T. Booker goes flying to the outside. Bagwell with the roll-up, but Stevie Ray kicks out. And Riggs goes to the top, hits a missile dropkick. Bagwell goes to the top, but Booker T pushes him off the top. Stevie Ray catches him in midair, hits a power slam, and gets the pin. Still your tag team champions, Harlem Heat. Fun match. It was definitely a rush. You could tell things had maybe gone... Uh, long a little earlier the finish it was another deal where they did a great job of giving nick patrick just enough credibility that you could wonder whether he was a heel or not whether he was crooked or not he just happens to turn and miss the shove off the top leading to the power slam finish Uh, the highlight for me in this match though was eric bischoff on commentary Uh, again he sort of is puffing his chest out saying i don't think there's a fourth or fifth guy in the nwo I think it's all just smoke or mirrors, which is smoke and mirrors in and of itself in that in the coming weeks, we will see the Giants join the NWO and then Eric Bischoff himself will join the NWO uh, as time goes on here. Also, Eric Bischoff, talk about shade in 1996. He buries the martial arts acumen of Stevie Ray multiple times on these sidekicks and basically says what we're all thinking, that Booker T is awesome. And CV Ray merely exists. Coming back. Oh, sorry. We get uh, Ric Flair and Arn Anderson with Woman and Miss Elizabeth. They are the four horsemen, uh, two of the four horsemen. And uh, they're taking on Sting and Lex Luger. I was so hyped when they told us at the start of the show, we're going to get Flair and Arn against Sting and Luger. That's maybe legitimately the most WCW match you could ever have. 
Sting instead says he wants the other two horsemen to come down, so Benoit and Mongo McMichael make their way down. Sting's surprise. He says, instead of beating each other up, we can recognize the major problem in WCW. We can't trust you, but we know you are WCW. They're WCW. And next month at War Games, Sting demands that it be Flair, Anderson, Sting, and Luger as the WCW team in the War Games match. Arn Anderson says, Lex... You can't bring the show muscles. You need to bring the power and the dedication it took to mold the body. I Incredible. thought that was an awesome line from Arn Anderson. I yeah, same thing in my notes. I, I thought Arn was. I thought there was a great Tremendous. promo by Sting, and then Arn just a, another classic Arn promo. Everybody was great uh, uh, in this segment. But yeah, that line from Arn was perfect. So we know the WCW team. The NWO has three members. They got to find a fourth going into the war games. Well, the the idea too going into this, just if you were a WCW fan and you had seen how much for the past couple of years, at least the last year, I guess, since uh, since Luger was back in WCW, it was, you know, is Luger really Sting's friend? That was the story. I certainly expected and everyone expected that it was going to be Luger that would turn on Sting and join the NWO to be the fourth guy. So that's the expectation you you have going into Fall Brawl, into that War Games double seal cage match. Coming back from commercial, we get our first NWO appearance. It's a black and white video. The following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. With the, the tagline, the following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. Yeah, this is this is not much. I guess the I, they were supposedly in Italy, but then the camera zooms in and shows a uh, uh, the Denver Post uh, corporate offices, so they clearly are not in Italy. I, I did like the line from Hall where he says that he is the guy who likes to t- say "I told you so," and then he goes on to tell us so. Um, they keep saying they're in Rome, but it's obvious they aren't. And yeah, yeah he told us so that they were going to leave with the WCW title and make it the NWO belt. And they did just that. Then they start making booty man jokes about how <laughs> yes. they don't want him in the NWO <laughs> at all. And, uh, and then they make fun of sting as the, uh, the, the segment ends. This is the but- first and only appearance of the NWO. Yeah, I was fully convinced that we would see them at the end of the show, but they uh, they never came out. By the way, you mentioned the Booty Man, one of the many aliases for Brutus Beefcake. One of the matches that I saw live at Disney MGM Studios exactly two weeks before this episode of Monday Nitro was Ric Flair versus the Booty Man for the U.S. title. Also, Giant versus Sergeant Craig Pittman. Main event of Luger and Sting versus the Nasty Boys. Lord Steven Regal against Randy Savage. Chris Benoit against Alex Wright, Medusa against Malaya Hosaka, and the opening match, again, talk about weird to see these guys on WCW Monday Nitro. It was a tag team title match with Harlem Heat defending against the Rock and Roll Express. We go to our main event. It's the Giant with his manager, Jimmy Hart. The Giant, of course, the future big show, tall Paul White. Here he's the giant and uh, at his youngest and most, most athletic. Uh, and he's taking on the Macho Man, Randy Savage, 
Savage immediately jumps the giant with a chair shot in the entranceway. He's killing him with these chair shots to the back, to the legs, to the head. Giant fights back. He presses Macho Man over his head, throws him in the ring. Inside the ring, big shots from the giant. Goes for the choke slam, but Savage kicks free. The match has already been thrown out by this point, we should mention. Randy Anderson, after Giant throws Savage back into the ring, he's seen enough. He throws the match out. We're at a no contest. Jimmy Hart gets attacked, and Savage has a chair again. The Dungeon of Doom hits the ring, and Savage hits Hugh Morris. Then he hits Big Bubba. Then he hits the Giant with the chair as well. The faces of fear come down. They get a chair shot, and then Savage is outnumbered, and he runs away. The Giant, in pursuit of Randy Savage, leaps over the top rope to the floor and runs to the back. What an incredible athlete to see him do this. Yeah, it's ostensibly, even though there's no one that he's leaping on, he basically executes a no-hands tope over the top rope or a plancha over the top rope to the floor, lands on his feet and sprints to the back. My God, like you said, what an athlete at this point, uh, pre all the injuries. Does the NWO have a fourth guy is all we can talk about as the show goes off the air. And that's the end of your episode of Nitro. Nitro and Raw, we mentioned, this is deep in the Monday Night Wars. Tonight's, that that night's show, uh, they had a combined audience that was one of the highest combined audiences ever for professional wrestling on television. Nitro did a 3.5 and a 5.8 share, while Raw did a 2.9 and a 4.4 share. So Nitro winning the war at this point. And then Nitro piles on some more. They do a replay right after the Nitro replay for the West Coast feed. Did a 1.3 rating with a 3-2 share. So the way shares worked, you don't ever hear about that now, but that basically meant that the numbers you laid out for the two live shows, approximately between Nitro and Raw, 11% of all televisions in the United States were watching wrestling which is that is a correct crazy statistic the horseman sting and luger interview did it, that was the peak of the nitro show it did a 4.1 rating while on raw it's head-to-head counterpart they put out Shawn michaels taking on yokozuna that only did a 2.9 rating so WCW uh, was in full control of the Monday Night War at this point. Well, and the, it was very compelling television and storytelling. It's so different when you think of even a year later when WCW with the NWO started to meander. But it was very clear that Eric Bischoff had a very clear idea and week by week laid out how they were going to get there. I mean, in the weeks after this, you have Ted DiBiase uh, joining the NWO, you have that that classic scene, which just was made even more classic by the driving rainstorm uh, outside the building at Nitro, where uh, you know there's someone in the limo uh, with with uh, DiBiase, and they emerge from the rain, and it's Sting, and Sting attacks and lays out Lex Luger and leaves him in the rain, laying beaten as Eric Bischoff just sounds completely heartbroken, and we all think that Sting joined the NWO, but it turns out to be a fake Sting, we learn, uh, at uh, at War Games. All that is what leads to the distrust of Sting, 
is what leads to the entire crow sting uh gimmick so like they really really like you think of wwf as the storytelling company but wcw was so far ahead of them in these early days of the nwo and that part of the game favorite thing on this show for you wrestling wise it's without a doubt it's uh it's a dean malenko that and, is correct and uh lord saban regal just tremendous television wrestling for me though beyond that it's just even with the nwo not being there it's the feel of the looming specter of the nwo and the fact that you have this thing that feels deadly serious and it is weaving its way in and out of every element of this show this isn't uh, a wrestling show where each segment is fully disconnected and doesn't have anything to do with the other it feels like there's something important happening and if you miss any part of the show you're gonna miss something wild honorable mention to mean jeans performance throughout the show helping yes. to drive that home as well oh, yeah. worst thing on this show oh god how long vk wall street and hacksaw jim duggan went Whew, man that was long that was a long chin lock especially to start the show it's, it's crazy <laughs> when you think about the monday night wars and how much they counter-programmed each other uh the idea and maybe this was, was raw two hours yet at this point i guess it probably was the yeah I, I believe so the idea that on a on a Monday Night War head to head you would lead off with ten minutes of Jim Duggan and VK Wall Street, I guess it shows how confident they were in the overall package they had at this point. I'd say worst thing, uh, honorable mention, uh, the lack of uh, finishes uh, towards the end yes. of uh, uh, the show here. But well, that's uh, the other hallmark of Nitro is that you would get. The big matches as far as guy X versus guy Y, and you'd be super excited. Sounds like a pay-per-view, but they would never really deliver in here. The main event, it wasn't even a match. It wasn't 30 seconds in before Randy Anderson threw it out. And we will fire up the randomizer again next week. It will pick something completely at random. And to find out, we're going to tell you what it is a few days ahead of time. All you got to do is follow us on all of the social media platforms at Wrestle at Random. There you can uh, find out. We'll put a GIF up and you'll see what uh, is coming up on the next episode of this podcast. What did the randomizer draw? And in addition, if you want more content, all of the episodes in the back catalog are free. And they are evergreen content. So if you want to go back and listen to our first review of Monday Nitro from season two, go for it. Listen to that history. It's a uh, you want to hear more from pre NWO 1996 Nitro. Go listen to that episode. If you want to hear what was going on 96 Raw, we've got some of those in the back catalog as well. Take a look, see uh, see what we got here, and go back and listen to all of them. And you've got the option for more content besides all of the free content we have for over five seasons we have a bonus feed where we do an additional podcast every single week if you can believe it over 140 plus uh, at the point of this recording and growing every week over on the bonus feed that's at patreon.com slash wrestling at random or if you are an apple podcast subscriber you can just hit the subscribe button right there in your current podcatcher in your uh, podcast feed if you're an apple podcast listener and it will unlock all of the episodes that are labeled as bonus right there in the same podcast player or go to patreon.com slash wrestling at random and there you can get all of the bonus content let's and... be clear let's make sure people understand this if you like this podcast and i would imagine if you uh, if you are listening to this you do that would stand a reason there are 145 episodes in the bonus feed right now waiting for you 
every bit as good as the episodes you hear on the free feed. Maybe even better because they're more off the wall. There are some crazy stuff there. There's uh, listener requested shows. There's one-off random wacky stuff. You have 145 episodes of this show that you've never heard. Maybe you uh, you go on long work trips. Maybe you have a long work commute. Maybe you work from home and you want to listen to podcasts while you're working on a spreadsheet. There are 145 episodes of this show you've never heard. They're evergreen content. They are waiting for you. Uh, and I would say they're tremendous. And don't forget we mentioned the YouTube channel also at the top of the show. We also have video versions of the podcast, both for the free feed over at uh, our YouTube channel, Wrestling at Random Podcast. Or uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber, you have a YouTube version of the bonus content there as well. So thanks for all the support. And if you want to help support the show, interact with the show, send us uh, uh, all of your Nitro memories or anything else you want to talk about via our social medias or comments on our YouTube videos. And definitely... Continue to tell your wrestling fan friends about the show. That's the way we spread the word and continue to do this every single week. And with that, we're going to wrap it up and call it a podcast. Adam, thank you for joining us. Yes. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you, Randomizer. Like I said, sometimes I enjoy a nice, familiar meal that reminds me of home. It reminds me of uh, my childhood. That's what Monday Nitro is. We got good Nitro. We didn't get a dying days of a promotion or territory. Uh, so this is fun stuff. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you again next time.